This is the Practical Teaching Tips Podcast. I am your host, Richard James Rogers, high school science and chemistry teacher and author of the award-winning book, The Quick Guide to Classroom Management. Well, hello everybody and uh, welcome to today's episode on the Practical Teaching Tips podcast. Today, I'm going to be describing a very popular and um, very um, effective theory of, um, of learning and memory retention um, called Cognitive Load Theory, which you may have heard about. Um, it's gathered quite a bit of, um, as I said, popularity and fame um, in recent years, uh, particularly because of a tweet uh, that was posted by Dylan William in 2017. Um, not my particularly, not, not a favourite person of mine, um, but uh, his tweet said, I've come to the conclusion Sweller's cognitive load theory is the single most important thing for teachers to know. And that was Dylan William tweeting on January the 27th of 2017. Now, I must admit, everybody, I'm not particularly a fan of these um, professors and academics in these top universities who come out with theories which are very often impractical for the common everyday teacher to implement in the classroom. Um, There's lots of um, different strategies I've seen that have come out of universities which would require a huge amount of planning time for teachers to implement. Um, You know, especially when you've got 10 or 11 periods to teach every day, Um, You can't be expected to spend half an hour to an hour planning every single one of those lessons um, just to um, incorporate some fancy latest um, modus operandi for um, encouraging accelerated learning or um, some other kind of, of benefit to the students. However, there are things that we can do as teachers which are practical and I do believe it is possible actually to um, implement cognitive load theory in the classroom and I do believe it is an effective way to increase the amount of information that the students um, will remember um, and will also um, activate long-term memory in students as well. So what I'm going to do today, everybody, is I'm going to read to you a blog post I've written about cognitive load theory. Um, I think my listeners quite like it when I read a blog post because it keeps my speech very direct and very focused. The link to the blog post will be in the episode description. It's at my blog for teachers, which is richardjamesrogers.com. Check it out whenever you have time. Um, And also you'll find a video as well associated uh, with the blog post. So um, you're getting a video, this podcast episode and the blog post itself. So a few different types of resources you can look at there to learn about cognitive load theory. So without further ado, everybody, I'm going to read to you the blog post now.
It was a cold winter morning in Bangor, North Wales. The year was 2004, and I was a second year molecular biology bachelor's student at Bangor University. My professor had given my group of students the task of finding a genetics-related research paper from any academic journal in the library, and then breaking it down into simple language so that we could present our findings to the rest of the class. The task was incredibly difficult. In fact, it was so difficult that it's up there with one of the most cognitively demanding tasks I've ever completed. The paper our group selected centred on apoptosis. Uh, That's when cells basically commit suicide. But the context and language of the paper was so specialised that the majority of what was written in it went right over our heads. The research had been written by PhD level and postdoctoral experts and specialists. We were 21-year-old kids who'd recently finished our A-levels. Nowadays, educational experts would argue that the cognitive load of the paper was too much for us to glean anything significant from it. We didn't even have the language skills to understand what most of the paper was describing. Difficulty versus pace. Cognitive load theory is a research-based tool for assessing the difficulty and pace of the tasks, assignments and instruction we deliver in class to our students. In essence, when difficulty is high and pace is fast, then the cognitive load is high. When difficulty is low and the pace is slow, then the cognitive load is also low. That's a very simplified synopsis, however. According to mindtools.com, Cognitive load theory, and I quote, takes a scientific approach to the design of learning materials so that they present information at a pace and level of complexity that the learner can fully understand, close quote. Cognitive load theory builds on earlier models of memory and knowledge retention, such as the Atkinson and Schifrin model of human information processing and was developed in 1998 by psychologist John Sweller. The theory is considered to be the most modern and up-to-date explanation of how memory is developed and stored. In the past five years or so, the theory has gained momentum and popularity in teaching circles, thanks in some part to Dylan Williams' iconic tweet of 2017, which I I read to you all at the beginning of this episode. I'll read it again. So what Dylan Williams said was, I've come to the conclusion Sweller's cognitive load theory is the single most important thing for teachers to know. I've taken the excellent image below, and you'll see it on the um, blog post, from a 2015 research paper by Edwards, Aris and Shukor, and I've modified it slightly to highlight what I believe to be the key takeaways. Now, what I'm going to do, everybody, is I'm going to try my best now to describe the graphic to you, but I do recommend that if you have time, go to the blog post that's linked in this episode description and you'll actually see the graphic. But basically, what you've got 
at the center of every child's learning is something called working memory. So if you can imagine that that's in the center and working memory is linked to everything else in this diagram. So it's linked to something called actual learning material, sometimes called intrinsic load. Now what we want to do, <coughs> pardon me, is we want to increase this. We want to increase the intrinsic load. And what is the intrinsic load? It's the relevant stuff. It's the stuff the students need to know to pass their exams. It's the relevant material from the curriculum. And unfortunately, what I've got to say, everybody, is um, there are many teachers these days that are introducing material which is not on the curriculum in their lessons. Um, their viewpoints about politics, viewpoints about gender, uh, viewpoints about sexuality, all kinds of different irrelevant material. Now, of course, I do believe it's important for teachers to develop students' character. Um, of course, that's important, but we must stay very focused on what is on the scheme of work and what's on the curriculum. And one way that we can um, do this is by increasing what we call the intrinsic load, which is the relevant material that's on the syllabus that is covered each lesson. So increasing the intrinsic load is going to um, increase the amount of processed information. And this is another part of the diagram. And processed information um, is known as the germane load, is what it's called in educational circles. Now, the way that we increase processed information is through practice, practice, and practice. What does that mean? Well, in the context of high school students, it means past exam paper questions, exam style questions, um, textbook questions, homework questions, questions which are focused very, very finely on the intrinsic load, on the relevant information the students have to know. Um, and a, a thing about homework as well, um, one kind of rumour that's been circulating in recent years is that homework is completely pointless. I do not believe that homework is pointless. Um, homework has a very um, big part to play in a child's learning, provided that the teacher gives feedback. Now, if students just do homework and they, they never get any feedback and they never get any discussion on their work, then of course it's pointless. Of course it is. It's pointless work. But if the students do homework and the teacher goes through it with the students, and gives feedback and the student knows where they've gone wrong, what they've done well, what they need to improve next time, then homework can be a very useful activity for students for increasing their germane load and increasing their working memory as well. Um, okay, and another thing on this diagram that's very important to point out is the more processed information the students have through practice, practice and practice, the more long-term memory the students are going to have as well. So where possible in your lessons, what you should do is include some kind of exam style question or questions or textbook questions or past paper questions. I try my best to include 
those as often as I can. It doesn't happen every lesson, I have to admit. There are some lessons where I just have to get through material or I have to do a practical or something like that. But where possible, if you can find a past paper question or an exam style question that covers what the students have learned that lesson, then that's going to really help those students develop their processed um, information as schema or germane load. Um, you can also include a past paper question at the beginning of a lesson as well to get the students to review what they, they learnt last lesson and to prepare them for new information. Now one thing that this um, diagram on the blog post does make very clear is that we should avoid unnecessary texts, unnecessary activities, unnecessary sounds um, and unnecessary information because that's called extraneous load and that is just going to um, deplete the student's long-term memory and working memory. So very important we remember that we've got to stay focused. And the final part of this diagram is something called sensory memory. Now sensory memory feeds into working memory, but what that basically means is using movement, action, and a variety of different activities to stimulate our students. Um, of course, it's those five senses, isn't it? It's touch, taste, smell, um, and all the other, the other senses, sight, hearing. Um, now, as a science teacher, it's quite easy for me to stimulate my students through multisensory means because I can do experiments. But if you're not teaching science and you're not teaching a practical subject, you might want to think of some other ways that you can stimulate all five senses. Uh, maybe by bringing in objects into school or getting the students to build a model um, or something like that. Now, continuing with the blog post, some key points to bear in mind about CLT or cognitive load theory. Number one, keep unnecessary superfluous material to a minimum. So, for example, news articles that might be topical and interesting but link tentatively to the content that the kids actually need to learn for the final exam. We've got to avoid that, everybody. We've got to avoid linking tentatively to the content. I've been guilty of this before. One of my biggest mistakes in teaching was um, going back about 10 years ago, I was teaching my students about, um, about hearing um, the biology of hearing. So I was teaching the students about all of the little bones in the ear and um, how hearing happens and the, the, sensory, um, the sensory networks that are involved and things like that. And I decided, I don't know why I decided this, some stupid um, off-the-cuff momentary lapse of judgment, I decided to teach the kids about sign language and uh, teach them about careers in sign language. And it was very interesting material, and the kids enjoyed it, but they didn't need to know it for the exam. And I had students asking me, do we need to know this for the exam? And some really gifted and talented students in that class, they realized that it was pointless, and, and they, stopped, they stopped focusing. Um, and, and it was just, 
It wasn't a good thing for me to do. I should have kept focused on the scheme of work um, and on what the kids needed to know for the exam. So we've got to remember that. Keep unnecessary superfluous material to a minimum. Number two, increase exposure to actual relevant learning material. This is called intrinsic load. So this may include textbook sections, websites, learning software, summaries. Number three, present information through all of the senses. And that means use movement, use action, use practical activities, use outdoor activities where possible. Please see my blog posts about outdoor learning and spatial learning for more tips on how to embed this. Now, those blog posts are linked in this episode description, and you'll also find them within the main blog post, which, of course, again, is linked in the episode description. And number four, practice, practice and practice some more. Use past exam paper questions. Use quizzes, for example, Kahoot, Quizlet, BBC Bite Size, Blookit, quizzes, etc. Use textbook questions. Use exam style questions to really get the students to process the information that they have learned. This is called germane load and it must be maximised in order to um, create long-term memory. Now, in the blog post, you'll also find a recommended video from uh, UK Ed Chat, and it's a discussion on cognitive load theory with Steve Garnett, and he's the author of Cognitive Load Theory, a Handbook for Teachers, which is a book I recommend. So check out the blog post, which is linked in this episode description. It's the first blog post in the list. Uh, The blog post is called What is Cognitive Load Theory? Check that out and on there you'll find the UK EdChat discussion with Steve Garnett and I, I recommend it. It's a very, very interesting, insightful discussion. Um, and that's the blog post finished, everybody. So as I said, um, quite a useful theory, cognitive load theory, when it is applied properly in our lessons. Um, I'm not a big fan of these ivory tower professors, as you know, but sometimes they come out with some good stuff that we can actually use in the classroom as everyday teachers. And I do believe that cognitive load theory is is a pretty good, um, a pretty good system of getting our students to learn as much relevant information as possible and retain that knowledge for as long as possible. Okay, well, please follow me on social media, everybody, for regular updates. My Instagram is Richard underscore James underscore Rogers. On Twitter, you'll find me as Richard J.A. Rogers. And on Facebook, you'll find me as Richard Rogers Author. I've got a page on there that you can follow. And of course, check out my website for teachers, which is richardjamesrogers.com. And uh, check out my best-selling book for teachers, which is called The Quick Guide to Classroom Management, 45 Secrets That All High School Teachers Need to Know. And if you're looking for a shorter read, my, um, my second book, The Power of Praise, Empowering Students Through Positive Feedback, which has got four-star reviews on Amazon at the moment, is only 99 cents on Kindle. 
um, and you can download that um, anytime because it's on Kindle of course and there is a paperback version as well of that book which is uh, let me just check that now trying to check the price for you here in real time um, which is $6.99 on, um, um, on Amazon and the quick guide to classroom management is only $10.99 so check those books out uh, the links to those books are again in this episode description thank you very much uh, next week um, I will be partnering with someone um, with a, a high school student actually who's in her final year of high school here in Thailand um, and we're going to be discussing um, the traits of um, of really outstanding teachers who can stimulate gifted and talented students so I'm hiring a studio wow uh, so it should be good sound quality I hope and uh, we're going to give you um, a really good episode next week so um, watch out for that and I do hope you enjoy it thank you everybody so until next time um, enjoy the summer holidays take care and I'll be with you again very soon bye bye for now